Welcome back to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III, and on this episode, we'll be talking to Shift 5. This episode is actually sponsored by Shift 5 and features a discussion with Michael Weigand. He is the co-founder and chief growth officer of Shift 5. As you'll learn from Michael in this episode, he's also a former U.S. Army cyber officer. Shift 5 was actually founded in 2019, and the scale-up as Michael describes it, is the OT cybersecurity company that protects the world's transportation infrastructure and weapon systems from cyber attacks. During our discussion on this episode, Michael gets in-depth on several different topics related to new commercial aircraft technologies, with a focus on connectivity, electronic flight bags, and some of the regulatory challenges that prevent airlines from exploiting the full capabilities of connected electronic flight bag tablets in cockpits today. So let's get into our discussion with Shift 5 Chief Strategy Officer, Michael Weigand. So Michael, can you tell us a little bit of background about Shift 5 and also yourself and you know how you got into the aviation industry? Woodrow, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, so my name is Michael Wakens. I'm the co-founder and chief growth officer of Shift5. We are uh, a cybersecurity and data company uh, based here in the United States uh, with a mission to secure commercial uh, transportation systems and uh, military systems from cyber attack and unlock the incredible uh, data that's largely you know, held captive in many of these complex systems for a variety of needs, everything from maintenance, operations insight, uh, digital twinning, you name it. Uh, I got my start actually uh, out of college as a military officer. I joined the US Army and commissioned into the infantry. It took them a couple of years to realize I had a computer science degree, uh, but when they did, I was pulled into the cyber branch when the Army established that a few years ago. So I was one one of the founding members of that. Uh, there, I developed a, a really unique skill set, and uh, I got tremendous exposure to you know weapon systems and avionics platforms and all of the gadgets and embedded computers and technologies that make them the sophisticated, really incredible pieces of engineering that they are today. Um, and over time, uh, I developed uh, a unique um, experience and exposure to defending and actually doing offensive uh, you know, stuff against those computers on board, uh, weapons platforms, particularly aircraft, where I've had a lifelong interest in aviation. Um, it didn't take me uh, long to realize that there weren't mature technologies available uh, to the market, um, either in the, in the federal and defense space or in the commercial space, uh, that provide visibility, awareness, um, intrusion detection, and cyber survivability uh, to these fly-by-wire connected all digital systems. So I left the military and started Shift 5 with two other uh, military officers, my co-founders, Josh Lospinoso and uh, James Kareni in 20, uh, 2019. And it's been a wild ride ever since. We are now uh, a, a scale-up company and uh, deploying our hardware and software to a variety of platforms um, to provide security and insights uh, where traditionally uh, there have been none. 
That's interesting. You, you know, you mentioned you started the company in 2019, um, obviously right before, you know, the big kind of COVID outbreak. Uh, can you tell us what it's been like having started that company in 2019? And then, you know, obviously the aviation industry itself, especially the commercial side, took a big hit from COVID. Uh, and now we're, we're sort of on the other side of that now in 2022. But what was it like to just kind of work through that period? Well, as a first-time entrepreneur, uh, 2019 was really exciting. I don't know if folks remember before COVID, but you know the economy um, was on high, and uh, you know everything was working out. So um, you know we thought that uh, the world was our oyster, and then we lived through, uh, as I'm sure everybody remembers, uh, you know the the beginnings of the lockdowns and all the economic uncertainty that came with. Uh, with COVID, especially looking at its impacts on the commercial aviation industry, that was of grave concern to us because we were trying to figure out how are we going to get folks to, uh, you know, bubble up cybersecurity requirements on aircraft when, candidly, the airline's number one, you know, challenge in, in 20, uh, what was it, 2020 and 2021 was really just, you know, passengers and ticket revenue. Um, you absolutely can empathize with that. So uh, fortunately, our company does a lot of defense work, and that's typically counter-cyclical or it's very stable um, compared to you know some of the perturbations and highs and lows we see in the commercial market. So we were able to lean very heavily on our Air Force partners to continue to advance our technology to get in front of pilots and crew chiefs and maintainers and, uh, and managers. Um, and that gave us uh, the ability to, you know, continue to go while the rest of the industry was still waiting uh, for the world to emerge from COVID. That's right. And so, you, you know, as you know, Michael, on this podcast, we really focus on connectivity, new aircraft technologies, uh, especially on the commercial aviation side. Um, and you have a really unique background in, in terms of um, sort of the cybersecurity expertise you can bring, especially to the commercial side of air transportation. Uh, but considering, you know, again, you started this company in 2019, can you talk about some of the examples of technologies available today that commercial airline flight crews might be missing out on, in your opinion? Yeah, so I think uh, commercial air carriers, while they've certainly benefited by, uh, you know, the, the advances in electronic flight bags and uh, additional connectivity uh, to the cockpit, there's still a tremendous amount of integration that's necessary um, to really unlock the power of these concepts and, and employ them, especially among the legacy fleets that are flying and comprise the majority of the aircraft, um, you know, that carry passenger miles today. Uh, when we look across uh, the Boeing fleet, as an example, you know, most of the, the miles flown are, uh, you know, with the NGs, um, you know, in domestic routes. Um, those are obviously being replaced now by the Maxes, but it's going to be at least a decade before there's a tipping point and we have more Maxes than NGs. And so while retrofits have been applied to the next gen 737 fleet uh, to add EFB technologies and additional connectivity in the cockpit, there's just a synergy and an integration of these technologies that uh, makes that experience, I think, wanting in um, in, in certain touches. Uh, there's there's more automation uh, that can make pilots' lives easier and reduce crew load in uh, critical phases of flight, like you know takeoff, ascent, um, 
you know, a rival. And uh, I just think that we have more, more work to do. Uh, you know, there are some companies out there that are doing an amazing job um, providing that connectivity and additional solutions, but the pace of software development that we all, you know, take advantage of in, um, you know, in our professional lives and in IT sense, and where we've seen disruption in the automotive industry, uh, where we can push over-the-air software updates and uh, and advance functionality and uh, and user features and benefits, um, you know, in a car. Uh, think uh, advances made by Tesla, and now many of the other manufacturers are incorporating a lot of those, uh, uh, you know, concepts into uh, into their newer offerings. We just don't yet see and have that in the aviation space. And a big part of that, of course, is regulation. How do we ensure that things are tested and are safe to the levels and expectations uh, that we have in aviation? Um, but, you know, candidly, I, I just think that there is a way to uh, achieve both of these things, uh, to deploy especially software features and functionality and advancement faster um, and provide more value while also maintaining safety and I, I don't think that we've even begun to scratch the itch, uh, the itch there. Yeah, that's a good point. You made some really good points there. You know, you mentioned uh, EFBs, especially um, a technology that maybe when first deployed was more of sort of a paper chart replacement, but is now becoming more and more of a actual navigation tool that pilots use in different phases of flight. When you look at some of these new technologies and, and, you know, how could they be deployed to change commercial air travel for crew and passengers, in your opinion? Yeah, so imagine a world where the EFB is much more tightly integrated with the onboard avionics than it is today. Um, EFBs today, uh, especially in general aviation, where actually we have more connectivity uh, in the cockpit than we do on, uh, you know, the majority of the legacy fleet that's that's flying today in, in commercial service, um, it, it, you know, there's there's more seamless integration and data sharing across different components uh, in the cockpit. Uh, I think that you know we need to move as an industry in a in a, a flying community, especially the you know the the, uh, the the pilot community can absolutely advocate for um, you know for some of these advancements where we see better data fusion. And when we have more data fusion and we have more data available, um, you know, to applications on an EFB and that EFB experience is more seamlessly integrated with the glass cockpit, it's going to unlock all kinds of conveniences, efficiencies, and potentially safety enhancements that uh, we're probably not envisioning today. And what would you say, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, especially, and as you know, of course, with, with your background in avionics, things tend to move really slow in commercial aviation. It, all, it can take a, a very long time, for example, to bring an actual new safety critical avionics system to market because of all the regulatory hurdles and, you know, certification requirements that you have to go to. But what would you say is really holding operators back from deploying these new technologies? Yeah, so I, I think uh, certainly it's it's the regulations. There's ways that we can accelerate the uh, certification process. Uh, you know, what, one variant of that is the supplemental type certification, right? Where 
we want to add a new technology, hardware, software to an aircraft. And you rack and stack it as you were alluding to a design, you know, to a, uh, um, uh, you know, to a level, a DAO level, they call it. And uh, that determines how critical it is and specifies what kind of steps you need to fall, uh, follow. There is a surprising lack of automation in the testing and in the um, application, uh, you know, engineering package development and review and approval process that, you know, could greatly accelerate the amount of time that it takes to get new capabilities approved um, and, and bring them to market. It would save, I think, a tremendous amount of money. Um, and candidly, it would, uh, you know, it, it would bring tremendous benefits um, economically uh, to industry to be able to uh, increase that pace of, of technology innovation. And again, I think that this can be done safely uh, drawing on a whole host of safety engineering practices that have really been honed over the last several decades in other industries that can be better applied uh, to the regulatory environment that's holding us back today from, from moving faster. Um, similarly, as, as many people have heard that it costs more today to develop a new drug than it did a decade ago or a decade before that, um, it is increasingly, uh, it, it's increasingly expensive and increasingly lengthy to get, you know, Dow level A uh, components approved. And what that means is that often uh, aircraft designers and uh, integrators, they lean on tried and, uh, you know, tested and, and true products that might be using technologies that are 20 or 30 years old that will get the job done, but you know, don't provide a path toward future upgradability or, you know, really can achieve some of this, uh, this vision of a, a far more automated, integrated, um, you know, uh, flying experience that, uh, that we certainly have the technology to achieve. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, a few years ago, I was actually at a conference in Europe uh, and there was an avionics company there that was talking about how to replace the use of floppy disks as uh, storage on some aircraft and airlines that still use that medium for, for data storage for aircraft simply because, you know, they, they don't want to go through all the hurdles required to go to a new storage medium for data. Um, when you look at the positions of regulators, uh, what are some of the compliance hurdles that operators face when trying to deploy some of these newer technologies? Well, I think uh, one of the challenges that I've heard from many of our partners across the, uh, the commercial industry is that while we have incredibly gifted and talented folks across, um, across our regulator uh, agencies in uh, not, just the, you know, not just the aviation industry, but in other uh, industries that have a close regulator relationship as well, I, I'll just generalize this a little bit. Um, there's still variability in the technical experience of the specific regulator that might be working with a particular uh, company. And, uh, you know, sometimes these people um, change out uh, quite frequently, or in other cases, uh, they've been in the job a very long time and uh, bring a tremendous amount of experience, but maybe lacking exposure to new concepts, technologies, um, or ideas. Uh, and so that variability 
um, and experience that variability in uh, people and the actual role. Um, and then candidly, sometimes working with, with folks that uh, just aren't bringing that can-do, let's explore new technologies and figure out how to safely get to yes uh, under new paradigms. Um, those are, you know, those all represent friction. Um, and in many cases, uh, that friction, you know, has uh, business impacts and it, it prevents us from continuing to lead in the aerospace uh, industry where we see other nations' regulatory systems working more proactively with industry. And I think a, actually a, a really good example of this, one that we all need to very closely examine, is how the United States really lost its leadership um, edge in developing unmanned aerial systems, especially consumer-grade unmanned aerial systems. Um, I think a very fair criticism uh, that I've heard uh, you know, repeated by uh, the regulator um, you know, uh, senior regulators, uh, you know, themselves is that because we didn't move fast enough to, uh, you know, develop sensible regulations to enable the testing and development of new capabilities in the United States and integrate um, this, uh, you know, more quickly into our national airspace concept. A lot of that development and, uh, and commercial energy, a lot of that entrepreneurial energy, it actually went overseas simply because people wanted to be able to go outside in a safe area and fly a drone without having to go through a multi-month process to, you know, get permission, um, uh, you know, to, to do test flights on a particular model. When the uh, product uh, iteration cycle is in a matter of days or weeks, and it takes months to years to get uh, approval to do test flights, you can see how that's a model that's just... Uh, it's just not going to work. So when we're operating in a global economic environment where we have unequal uh, regulatory support and hurdles, uh, those that you know candidly have a better relationship with the regulator, where the regulator can make uh, product development easier and faster and still maintain safety, they will naturally have an advantage, and that has massive consequences for um, you know for uh, for the countries involved. So um, I think that's uh, that's the example that comes to mind, and, and one that I hope we would all keep in mind in the back of our heads as we uh, you know, look to find efficiencies across the market. And you know, one of the topics that we like to focus on regarding connectivity on this podcast is the use of connectivity by pilots in the cockpit, in the flight deck. You know how they're using you know connected iPad applications, for example. When you look at you know the way that airlines would would prefer to use a connected flight deck, what are some of the practical steps that operators can start taking today to enable that fully connected flight deck concept? So I think that today, let me. So the first thing that comes to mind is uh, actually I, just getting back from a flight yesterday. Um, while this is not related to the flight deck, I just want to voice, I think, the concern that every uh, passenger on a flight, uh, on a commercial flight has today, which is that it is tremendously frustrating to go from a connected environment in the terminal to the plane and then have connectivity loss between, um, you know, uh, taxi or takeoff and, and uh, uh, getting to 10,000 feet where onboard connectivity is, is then provided back to the customers. 
Um, that is absolutely a user uh, experience problem that has to be solved where we have the technology to solve it. Um, I think many of the airlines are looking at that, but candidly, where there are, again, actually regulatory um, challenges uh, that are preventing that from uh, being rolled out faster, number one. Number two, um, I think from a security perspective, which is where my mind first goes to on the uh, in-cockpit connectivity mode, uh, I think many airlines want a standard single connectivity mode uh, for uh, built-in devices and the and the interaction of, uh, of carry-on devices. Um, into the cockpit environment. So where um, EFBs are installed and they are essentially temporary um, or technically removable, but they are de facto, you know, a part of the cockpit, um, you know, the connectivity model there has largely been solved to provide for, uh, you know, for them being um, available to the crew. But where in other cases, crews are bringing iPads, or other tablets, uh, this presents uh, something of a security concern for for airlines, where these tablets are moving from different uh, connectivity enclaves that have different security profiles, and and right now that is uh, you know kind of a challenge to manage uh, to gain oversight into. Um, so simplifying and standardizing what cockpit connectivity looks like. Uh, across fleets and, and aircraft types, if that's possible, I think would solve a lot of problems for, uh, for airlines in the management um, environment. Um, it's probably not feasible, uh, you know, just given that we want a diverse supply base and uh, OEMs are going to come to different decisions. And then, of course, operators are always going to be modifying, um, you know, their aircraft uh, aftermarket with different technologies to, uh, you know, to meet different needs. Um, on different timelines and with different budgets, but uh, just some unstructured thoughts there. That's interesting. You know, as a follow-up question, I have to ask, um, one of the topics that's, you know, as you know, we have an annual Connected Aviation Intelligence event. And one of the topics that always comes up when it comes to cockpit connectivity is whether or not pilots should be either using some type of separate SSID uh, or concerns about them using the same connection that passengers have on an aircraft, when you look at just that, you know, existence of, of that type of connectivity and use of it by pilots and passengers, is that a concern for you? Does there need to be some type of separation there? I think that's a difficult question to just answer without understanding um, exactly what that, you know, pilot device. I'm, I'm just going to assume, you know, we're talking about like a tablet. Um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's uh, it's difficult to just give a, a straight answer because you want to understand what is that tablet being used for? Um, are they just checking the weather and this is a this is a backup system that um, you know is redundant to uh, to other methods uh, that have other you know connectivity modes and have been approved through uh, you know different types of analyses? Um, or is this actually a critical? Or let me rephrase that. Instead of saying critical, or is this actually like just an important way of how they uh, are operating? Um, I think certainly there are technology solutions that allow us to secure the tablet uh, with it, with it connecting to the exact same 
hotspot or access point uh, that customers may be using. Um, there are ways that you know you can apply virtual LANs um, or have the the tablet's MAC address or its its host information already pre you know registered in a database and it knows to handle its traffic separately from from customer traffic. Um, you know the technology solutions are there to provide uh, separation of uh, of traffic from you know pilot devices or other approved devices and, and consumer traffic flowing across the same uh, you know router or uh, or data link. So it's uh, it's a bit of a tough question. I, I hope you don't think I'm dodging you there. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, it is a. Uh, it's just a lot to consider. Yeah, it certainly is. So, you know, we talked about uh, the use of connectivity and deploying new technologies, the position of regulators. Uh, when you look at, you know, again, airlines deploying some of this newer technology, and especially the connected flight deck, what are some of the gotchas that operators probably aren't considering about connected flight decks? Well, I think the, I think the biggest gotcha is that there's just really ambiguous security guidance around, uh, uh, you know, the connected cockpit. We have advisory circular 119-1 uh, that stipulates that certain aircraft, um, if you look on their airworthiness certif- uh, certificate, there's a special code associated with them. And if they have this special code, if they are deemed to be e-enabled uh, by the manufacturer, actually, then you have to follow um an aircraft network security operations guidance or or plan uh that you put in place and as part of your you know part 121 you know operating you know general operating uh, uh plan right that's approved by the faa uh but that guidance is uh it's it's immature this security guidance is really um only applied and and inspected where you're flying aircraft that have that security code. So the issue papers, um, I, I think just leave airlines kind of in the lurch right now. Uh, the OEMs obviously are stepping into the conversation and pr- trying to provide more guidance, but um, you know, I think that we're seeing a lot more energy and conversation about this out of YASA than we are out of the FAA right now. And as somebody that wants to see you know, the U.S. stay on top of the, uh, you know, the aerospace game that we literally invented, um, that's, you know, a little bit cause for, it's at least pause. It causes me pause. Um, I don't know if it's cause for concern yet, but uh, it just drives to me that there needs to be more uh, more focus and energy on it. And I think we can do a better job providing standardized guidance uh, that when we bring connectivity solutions to the cockpit, um, we can do a better job talking about how they're going to integrate, how they should be secured and what those best practices and principles look like. Yeah, those are all really great points. Uh, well, Michael, I think that uh, our audience definitely learned a lot from this conversation today and a little bit more about what Shift 5 is bringing the industry. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Woodrow, thank you so much. Take care.
That brings us to the end of another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on the Apple iOS podcast app or any smartphone or tablet podcasting application. Feel free to rank and comment on our podcast as well to let us know how we can improve. It also helps others find the podcast. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast.